karate, by the way. It's not that I'm that weak. It's that he does karate. Just saying. Just saying. Just putting it out there. Just, just in case you were thinking. Just want to clarify things before we kick off. I'm going to start with a minor miracle, which is I'm going to do two things at once. Um, I was looking at the time, that's all. I'm just trying to make sure I... Um, the only feedback that Andrew gets from this is that Ben went way too long. Um, there you go. Um, that's the minor miracle. Um, well, good morning for those who, um, if you're visiting here with us um, or if you're regular, my name's Ben for those who don't know. Thanks for um, the team for leading worship today. It was really lovely, Sally, Ross and Lyndon. It's actually, um, yeah, it was lovely, lovely spot to just sit in. So I really appreciate that uh, from you guys. Um, it was nice to have communion. Often um, I've been playing, and so we, I, I miss communion. This is where you get really, oh, that's terrible, Ben. Um, but the juice is really nice, actually. Just that's, that's you don't like it? Okay, okay, we can we can talk about that later. Um, I appreciate it anyway. Um, good to see you, Steve. Welcome, welcome home after the trip west. Go west, young man. Um, which you did. Um, it's, it's good to see you. Um, I'm actually really delighted to see Judy and John here today, um, particularly after surgery. Was it yesterday or the day before? Oh well, that's how that's how quick it goes for me. Ten days ago. I'm delighted to see you guys here. I was. Um, I was thinking on the way coming here today. I've actually I come from Creswick this morning. I've been out at Creswick. Thanks, mate. Been out at Creswick really early uh, when my son's playing soccer this morning, and um, it was cold and wet. And uh, but I was thinking on on the way in, I was um, sort of envisaging being up here, and I'm, I saw you two. I, I, I and so I was re- I'm really delighted that that, they, that you were here. I was sort of worried that you wouldn't be here, um, and I. And, and then I was reminded about that word that you guys had about being bookends. And, and I just, um, I don't know, for, um, I, I, don't, I don't know whether you feel that that's come to fruition or not. Um, but I want to let you know it has. You know, in my stepping up here, I kind of go, the people I want here are John and Judy. So thank you for being here. Um, just so you know that God's doing that work. doesn't matter what you, good John. Ben Reeve, um, but he's he's doing that work. So I'm really so thank you, thanks for just being you. We're really delighted. Amen. It is hot, yeah. It's good. It's, I'm still sort of thawing out from being out in the cold at Creswick. So I'm, this is this is really nice. Okay, cool. Um, I'm I'm already heaps far into my allotted time that I allotted myself. So my phone's going to go off, which will warn me, Ben, you better wrap up, all right? Just just letting you know. Um, I think I've shared up here before that in my life, I'm intentionally trying to chase and understand Jesus and who Jesus is. That if we are in him, I want to be able to continually learn and uh, gain more from an understanding of who Jesus is um, and, and I do that initially from who he was in the Bible. Um, and the death and resurrection of Jesus play a 
pretty considerable part of that for us as Christians. And we've just come out of Easter, which is, um, for me, it's sort of like that, it is that prime event of Christianity. It is the peak of sort of, uh, of Christianity. It really is. Um, and I'm reminded every year um, um, how much of a holy and sacred time it is. And I'm reminded about that through my kids' primary school. So the Friday before they finish up at school, um, they have that they all the kids come dressed in um, in biblical time clothes. So they all come as either um, uh, in in robes or as Roman soldiers, or some come in um, like onesies dressed as animals because they're kind of claiming, yeah, we're doing the um, the whole Noah's Ark thing. I'm like, nah, it's not part of this story, but okay. Um, and so then they act, and the kid, and I just kind of go, that's just lazy. It's just lazy. You should be dressing up as a Roman soldier or something. Um, but part of it is they they go through the whole story of, um, of from Palm Sunday, Jesus coming into Jerusalem, uh, right, right right through to the crucifixion. And it's often a really, I'm often really really moved by how sincere it is, I guess, or just being able to just seeing it, and how much that actually speaks to me. Um, this year that there were moments where that happened. So my son Henry played Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the, and the disciples keep falling asleep. I should, should have got the video up on the screen for you because he's hilarious. going, oh, you're falling asleep again? He's just, it's really awesome. Um, and, it's, but it's, and it's often a really holy and a very solemn and serious moment when, um, when Christ is put on the cross. Except for this year, when the teacher decided that as Jesus come in, holding the cross, that the kids would go like this. And then sung a reworked version of We Will Rock You. And I've been trying to find the words, but I can't find them. I've got to, got to contact the teacher. But the chorus is, he will, he will die for you. <laughs> and it was just, it was a lot of fun. I'm kind of like... Sort of irreverent, but sort of really um, done well in a grade five, six sort of way. Um, so we'll try to get those words for you. Um, but, 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 but I guess for me, um, Easter is like, I love Christmas. Like, I, I truly love Christmas. I think some of the Christmas carols we sing are some of the most beautiful words ever written, and it often leads me to tears just singing those songs. But there's something about Easter that just, um, that just drives me at a personal level. Um, and so we can have Easter, and then we come to this Sunday, and this is just the 28th of April. It's nothing, is it? Um, and so I've actually went on a bit of a study to sort of figure out, well, what happened post this major event? Because we can get to this pinnacle, and then we go, well, it's just downhill, and we'll wait till Christmas, and then we'll go to Easter again, and then we'll just wait. Um, and, I, and I kind of go, what, I, I wanted to understand what it actually meant for the disciples and those following and being with Jesus. What did they think and what did they do as a result of, you know, the, the post-Easter experience? And then I thought about, well, what does it actually mean for us today as well? You know, we've just had Anzac Day and, we, and, there's a, and I'm watching footy and, um, and kind of go, they're, they're all changing tops and wearing the Anzac logo and stuff. Like, they've all got to extravagant lengths to, to remember Anzac Day and the lest we forget idea. And we come every week and we're able to remember Jesus through communion. But is that it? Is that it? Is that simply, are we simply just here to remember? 
so um, the gospel sort of the gospels focus on a lot of what happens um, after uh, sorry bef- happening before and leading up his death and the, and the resurrection and after um, but we know that this sort of his death was the start of a larger beginning if that makes sense it, it, it was it, it wasn't the end of a story it wasn't even the middle of a story it was it was a new beginning um, for all of humanity and that's sort of where I want to start today and this message I guess isn't so much a direct teaching, isn't so much a preaching, um, but I guess I kind of want to have a one-man monologue Bible study with you. <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> um, so I kind of so I've spent this uh, so I spent these last couple of weeks just looking at, just going through the Gospels at the end of each Gospel, to, to just looking at these things. So um, yeah, um, so so there won't be two points. There might not even be three. There might be something. Um, I'm sure that God will speak to all of us. So, um, as I say, I'm sure about that. Let's pray to ensure that that happens. Um, yeah, Lord, we thank you for your presence and uh, we thank you for Easter and we thank you that um, that, that is not the end but it is yet the, the mere beginning. So come and speak to us today, Lord God, about what this means to each of us individually um, and may we take something in our heart and our souls, Lord God, that... Um, that will step us into a deeper level of both understanding and passion for who you are. Amen. Still really hot. That's all right. Thank you. Um, so there's four Gospels and, uh, and, the, Acts that, and um, the Acts of the Apostles that, that I want to look at a little bit today. Um, I was telling uh, my daughter earlier this week, you know, that, that yes, there is, yes, there's four different um, authors and they all don't actually share the same thing because if they did, we'd only need one. So, so we have four and it's like anybody who came today, if you come in a car, and, well, the Davidsons would have come with all four of you today. You, you would, all, would all four have a slightly different experience of the trip from home to church today. But that's because we all have different views and we, we all sit in, in different spots and see different things. So what I want to do is just quickly go through what each of the Gospels say in a brief summary of sort of what happens from death, sorry, from the death of Jesus. I probably should clarify that. From your death, here's what's going to happen. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going there. So Matthew talks, um, starts off um, by, by talking around the fact that there was guards who were placed at the tomb. See, the Pharisees knew that Jesus said that he would rise after three days and they actually wanted to ensure that Jesus' followers didn't come and take the body to make the claim that Jesus had risen. So they placed a couple of guards um, at, at the front of the tomb. And an earthquake happened and an angel came and rolled back the stone, which I just say way too quickly, but if we really think about that, an earthquake just happened and an angel came who rolled away the stone. Um, and the, the guards were shocked is probably the understatement of the day. And, um, and then the angel advi- advised Mary and the other Mary who was with her that he, he is not here, he is risen. And the angel told them to go to the disciples, but as they were running, they bumped into Jesus. Um, and the Bible says they clasped his feet and worshipped him. We, the, Matthew also says the guards were then paid money to lie about seeing the angel and instead to share a story that the disciples took Jesus' body. Now, this is only mentioned in Matthew's gospel. It's not mentioned in the others. Um, and it's mentioned in Matthew's Gospel because Matthew was writing his Gospel for a Jewish audience. 
he wanted to prove to the Jewish audience that Jesus was the Messiah. Really intentional. As you read Matthew, you'll see he refers back to a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah coming, and he talks about how it was fulfilled through Jesus. Um, so, um, So he was defining Jesus as the Messiah. Then the disciples went to Galilee, where they were told to go and meet with Jesus, and then Jesus declared to them, um, he starts off with all authorities being given to me in Matthew 28, which we'll look at in a minute. So he commissioned them, which um, often referred to as the Great Commission. So that was Matthew's uh, take. Mark um, um, shares that, um, that a, the couple of women, uh, Mary Mary and somebody else, went to anoint Jesus' body with spices, and they were slightly worried about who, um, how they were going to move the stone. Fair enough. Might, might get Ray in to do that do some karate on it Um, but the stone was already rolled away Um, and then they saw an angel which uh, in in my translation says a young man in white in the tomb who told them he is risen and to meet him in Galilee and Mary Magdalene went and told his followers um, and they did not at the followers of Jesus and they did not believe her and then it, it says that Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country and the two reported it back to the others, but they didn't believe that either. So later, so later, then Jesus came and appeared to all 11 disciples, and he rebuked them um, for their lack of faith in not believing um, that, that what they had heard. And then he commissioned them before he was taken up into heaven, as, um, as Mark says. So pretty similar sort of stories, um, a little bit more. We'll, we'll quickly go through Luke, I'll say quickly. Seven, no, it's not seven pages. So, so the woman went to anoint Jesus' body, the women, sorry, with spices where they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They didn't find Jesus' body as expected, um, but two men, and, the, and my translation, which is NIV, says they found two, where is it, where is it? Two men um, whose clothes gleamed like lightning. So the two men advised that he is risen and they raced to tell the disciples who didn't believe them because their words seemed to... And, the, and Luke 24.11 says, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. What a nonsense story. But I love this. But Peter got up and he raced himself to see the empty tomb because he had wondered what had happened. Peter's one of the most interesting dudes in the Bible. Like He is just... He's just extravagantly on fire and extravagantly makes fantastic decisions and stupid decisions all at the same time. I just love him. Um, Luke goes on to talk around two followers who are on on their way to Emmaus and they're talking about everything that had happened to Jesus in in his life and and, uh, lead up to the crucifixion. Um, And then Jesus came up and the Bible says that he walked alongside them but they were kept from recognising him. They explained to their new travelling friend all that had happened because Jesus asked what they were discussing. So, And they shared with him how they hoped that he would be the Messiah, the one to redeem Israel from the situation that, that they are in under Roman rule. And then Jesus said to them, How foolish you are and slow of heart to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Did, you, did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Um, And then Jesus took them through the scriptures, explaining what was said about himself. Now, is that the ultimate sort of level of teaching? Jesus telling you about what the scriptures have to say about him? It's sort of pretty cool. I 
I'm, and, and at this point, they still didn't recognize that it was Jesus. They invited Jesus to come and stay with them. And as they were eating, um, he took bread and he said, let's give thanks. And it was at that point there that they recognized him. And the Bible says that he disappeared from sight. The two raced back to tell the disciples and told them what had happened. And at that moment, Jesus appeared to them all and they thought that he was a ghost. Um, and we'll find out why because John talks about that a little bit. And, um, but they, they thought him a ghost, but Jesus invited them to touch his hands and feet, to, to actually touch him. And they were all amazed, which is probably the other understatement of the day. They were amazed. And Jesus asked for food. So he explained to them um, that he had to fulfill what was written in Luke 24:44. It says, what was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. It then says that he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And this is our first reading, Anna, um, which we've got Luke 22, 46 to 49. This, and and so, so he then opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And it says this. And then he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witness of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high luke says that he blessed them and then he was taken up into heaven so we get a little bit more detail from luke um, and then we come into john and we know john uh, was a uh, was a disciple so walked alongside jesus so, so what we hear from john is actually a fair uh, um, we, we know it's his first hand take on it John's also the disciple um, who also said that he's the one who Jesus loved the most as well. So we've got a, um, John's pretty good, he's a pretty good bloke, but he refers to himself as the one that, that, that Jesus loved, you know, he's, um, he's an interesting fella. But he says that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, he found, she found the stone rolled away, she ran to the disciples and told them, and they ran to the tomb to see for themselves. And, and uh, it says they found the cloth, that Jesus' body was wrapped in, folded up with linen strips lying around. The disciples went home, but Mary stayed crying. They didn't, and they all didn't know that he'd risen yet. He just wasn't there. So she was upset that somebody had taken Jesus' body away. And so another person, who she thought was the gardener, uh, asked her the question, who are you crying for? She then pleads with this person, who she thinks the gardener, to return Jesus' body. And then Jesus calls her name, Mary. And then she knows it's him. John goes on to say that the disciples were locked up in a room together and then Jesus appears to them in the room. I know one translation talks about he comes through the wall um, and they showed him his, he showed them his hands and feet and they were overjoyed. And in John 20, 21, 23, it's our next one, Anna. Um, so again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, for me, this is sort of a weird thing, that the first thing that Jesus sort of says to them after appearing and says, hey, check out my hands, this is me, check out my side. Um, 
Um, I'm going to breathe on you, I'm going to anoint you with the Holy Spirit. If you forgive others' sins, they're forgiven. If you don't, then they're not. Um, okay. I guess the answer from me today is I, I, I know nothing. Um, but, but, what, but what I've learned is that if this is something that Jesus thinks important to share with these guys, it's really important. I was remembering your message on the way here. I was, I was sort of thinking about what I'm going to share. I was thinking about this whole notion of forgiveness. Um, you know, there's plenty of commentaries with varying opinions on this and plenty of rabbit holes I spent way too long reading on this verse because there's denominations that will um, have different opinions on, on what this means. Um, but all I'm comfortable with saying is that forgiveness is a principle of the kingdom of God. That's what it is. It's a key principle of the kingdom of God. And the church, it's, so the kingdom of God and the church that started as a result of Jesus' life and death. It's part of who we are. It's part of what people should see when they walk into a place like this, is forgiveness. That's the kingdom of God on display. Um, all right, so Thomas missed out on this whole experience. Um, and um, so he doubted the whole thing. You, you guys are rubbish, is what he said. In that, that's not in any translation. I just made that up. I just made that up. Um, but after finally seeing him about a week later, and he touched his hand, he touched his side, um, Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God, as a result of that, of that touch, of actually seeing it for himself. And I find it really interesting that Jesus is really quite kicked quick to come down and say you guys of little faith somebody come and told you this but you don't believe what's going on but yet he's quite happy for Thomas to go that's rubbish Ben Reeve translation and um and wait for him to um um to actually show him I don't I don't as you there's no answers today I'm just sort of raising questions um and then we're going to John 2020 towards the end of um John's a gospel where he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the second time, or the first of two times, John refers to the fact of he does many things, I can't write them down. So I'm not sure whether John's lazy or whether there really was too many things um, um, for us, but I just love the nature of that. The, just the human nature of being out there is just too much. Too much happened, but I'm telling you the key things he did. Um, I just love that. So Jesus then appeared to the disciples again while they were fishing, and uh, they had some bad luck. So he told them to, th and they didn't know it was him, but um, but he told them to th to throw the nets out the other side, and then they got this massive haul of fish that they couldn't bring it in, and straight away they knew it was him. Straight away, they knew that the miracle that had, that, that had happened must be him. Um, then they ate together out of this catch. Jesus had some interesting conversations with Peter as well. You'll, you, you will remember that. He firstly said, do you love me? Um, then feed my sheep. And they go through that conversation three times. Um, Jesus then goes on to state how Peter will die with his arms stretched out like he did. And, um, and Peter's response said, well, how's John going to die? sort of a reasonable thing to do but i just love jesus's response which is yeah if he's the, yeah that's right if he's the favorite you know 
you love him the most, well, what are you going to do with him? And so Jesus' response is, well, what is it to you if I let him live forever? <laughs> like, until I return. So, so deal with it. Um, you, you must follow me. He puts him in his place um, a, a little bit. But I just sort of, it's part of the nature of Peter that, that I love. But what about, what about, you know, um, I can jump out of the boat. Help. Um, he's just, he's awesome. Um, yeah. Um, and so then we, we move on to Acts, where um, uh, in, the, in just the very start, it talks about Jesus hanging out with the disciples for 40 days, talking around the kingdom and the coming Holy Spirit. He then ascends to heaven, and Acts says he looked up the whole way as he ascended. Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about um, seeing Jesus as well. We know that he uh, saw him in Acts 9, start of Acts 9, I think it is, uh, when he was Saul and he was on his way to Damascus. But he also mentions a lot of others um, who had seen him, including a group of up to 500 people. So Jesus did show up and spend time with people after he died. And I've heard stories that this still happens. Um, I've heard it happening in other cultures. Uh, Hindus, Muslims um, have, uh, have seen him. Uh, they talk about a man dressed in white came to speak to them. Um, so then he ascended to heaven. And then we read in Acts that the disciples started evangelizing. So, 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 so what is this thing we do with this now? You know, the, and let's put the early church in a little bit of perspective. They were really flipping good at evangelism. They were really good at it. This was a group of misfits who were following this guy. And I think, I think part of it comes down to this verse here, which is Matthew 28. Excuse me, I'm going to try to get more water in. And this is the verse that's a great commission, which is, um, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus was setting these guys apart from the cultural norms of the day. Um, First, he said that all authority had been given to him. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, you know, but the, but the, the Christians, um, in my study of this, I found out that the very early church, they, they were so set apart from the cultural norms of the day. So the cultural norms of the day were that the Romans were pretty good at fighting and seeing death happen, but they were also really elitist, and they were also, like, like, like they were really clever, like they built roads that, that enabled a, a, a large number of things to happen and they, that the word apostle is actually um, a word that the Romans used to come in and actually define the culture of a region. That was a word they used that Christianity took on board. We're, we're going to come in and we're going to Romanize this place. So we will help them understand what it is to give to Caesar and to bow to Caesar rather than have their, their, their own culture. So the Romans were awesome at this, but there's this little group who were um, who set themselves apart. So they weren't. So they were pretty much pacifists. They did not fight. They did not go to the gladiatorial events. Um, the Romans are also really good at supporting the elite. So my understanding is that the Romans, if they had a child that had some sort of defect, they would literally throw it out there's, because. In our society, we only want the best of the best. So we will leave, we will leave babies alone um, because we don't want them anymore. 
because we can't be associated with something that isn't, isn't perfect. And so what these, what the early church would do is that they, they knew they had to look after the weak. This is what Jesus had taught them. This is about going out and doing everything um, that's mentioned in the, in, the, in the Great Commission was that, that they had to look after these, um, the, these babies. So they would pick them up and they would look after them and they would become the carers. Um, they're also known as a family, so, uh, and we still do this. We talk to each other as brothers and sisters. And they'd get together uh, for communion and have, have the Eucharist to, to share. And they, they'd, they'd really just share about their experience of Jesus, if they knew him, met him personally, what that looked like for them, or just hearing about fr- from others. They'd have communion together and they'd come to worship Jesus. But as they're collecting these children off the street and they're calling each other brothers and sisters... And as people start to hear about them talking about eating my body and drinking my blood, people thought they were a little weird, reasonably weird. Um, and that's, my understanding is that that's how persecution commenced, because it's like, well, we're going to get rid of these weirdos. But, I, but one thought come to mind for me is that this persecution really, in a lot of ways, was, had to do with them being totally misunderstood or just not having a good, succinct slogan. <laughs> Maybe um, that they that they didn't re- that they didn't really um, that they were so countercultural that it was hard for people to understand. And I, I, just, I just started thinking about what is that? Is that what persecution is? Lack of under, lack of understanding. So a few things, I guess. So what did it mean at the time? The first thing is that Jesus's appearance proved the resurrection. So it proved that death had been beaten. So he'd risen from the dead um, and he was back to life. And I actually still struggle to get my head fully around this because I can say it and the more I say, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. Like he's alive, like he's fully alive. Like he, he was dead and then he rose back to life. It's still like a mind, I can't get my mind around it because my humanness is so fragile that, that, that I actually can't, I, I can't handle it. Um, so I'm really quite comfortable living in a state that my mind is blown by that, not being able to give you the nature for it to, to set in, other than to just go, he is alive, he is alive. Um, Jesus also come to give some real clear direction. So he, um, I think in, rise, in ra- raising from the dead, you have a little bit more street cred than not raising from the dead. I, the, 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 there's plenty of people who said they were the Messiah and plenty of people who still do, but they don't have the street cred of being able to, 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 to raise, to, being, to, come, to beat death and to come back from death. So if you come across someone like that, you'll often listen. So Jesus was able to give really clear direction to, um, to his uh, disciples and his followers at the, at the time. So he talked about going out to other nations and to share about the kingdom. And so hence these first evangelists were commissioned and they did travel. They started in Jerusalem and they went out. And aren't we grateful for it? Because here we are in Australia, on the other side of the world. They did it. But he also talked about being clothed in the power, with power from on high in Luke 24, 49, which was the Holy Spirit. And we see this play out in Acts 2, Pentecost. So all that's fine, but what does it mean now for us, one week after, one week after Easter the weekend? Do we literally just go about a two-hour weekly service? Is that it? Is that it? Is this it? Is this the pinnacle? 
Like, I know Jesus loved the church, so don't get me wrong, I love the church as well. But um, I, 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 I think it's healthy for us to ask, what else? What else? What, what else on top of this? This is important, but, but, but what else? You know, as I said, the early church got together, they worshipped, they shared their stories, their testimonies, they had communion together. But, 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 but what else? What else could we be doing? Should we be doing? So here's some, just some thoughts to um, sort of wrap up with. Smashing it, by the way, smashing it. Um, I saw on Twitter this week... Um, Somebody said, my daughter said to me, how come we just don't say Jesus rose? How come we keep saying he is risen? Jesus is risen. Um, Because grammatically, Jesus rose sort of makes more sense. Um, And they didn't answer the question for me, so so, so I've thought about that as well. So we use the scriptures as they are, as word for word, and, and, and so that's okay. But I reckon there's a little bit more to that. I actually like to think that Jesus is consistently risen. He is consistently risen. So, when I gave my life to Christ when I was 16 years old, the reality that he was risen come to the fore right then and there. He is risen then and there. Now, for the next 30 times that I rededicated my life to Christ within the next five, in that five-year bracket, up to 21, he was risen again and again and again, every single time. The truth, the reality that he is risen, he is alive, that, that, that death has been defeated, that my sins are totally wiped away, come to the fore every single time. For some of you, it'll be longer than six, when, I was going to say 16 years. For others, it'll be a shorter period of time. For others, it'll be a lot longer period of time. And I just see that he's able to defeat death in every single day, that he is consistently risen. He's risen over the thing that happened last week and the thing that's going to happen next week. He's consistently risen over it. And I think that that's one of the things that I've taken away and I'm sort of sitting with this week is that he is consistently risen. So I actually don't mind the incorrect grammar of he is risen rather than, rather than he rose. Because he rose once, that's fine. But he is risen again and again and again in all our lives, which I think is really, really nice and something we can just be really grateful for. You know, he'll be the... The fact that he'll be the risen king to others next week, but he might not be to me, I'm totally cool with that. But I'm really quite comfortable with the notion that I can come back to this truth that he is risen. He is alive. You know, the the power over death is powerful for all of us. You know, Hebrews 2.9, the second part of this verse, um, it states that Jesus suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He tasted death so we don't need to taste death. The next one, Anna, is uh, Galatians 2.20, which also says that, um, and this is uh, Paul, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is part of the he is risen in me, that death no longer has a part of me, that Christ is within me, and Christ is life. Paul then goes on to talk about the death, this death, and describing it as an act of reconciliation, which has been a really lovely thing for me to sit on and think about as well. 
Jesus' death was for the purpose of reconciliation. So, and in 2 Corinthians, it says all this, which is a big reading to old sort of lean down so you can see it all. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do no longer. That's because he has risen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This was his ministry and now it's our ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation as well. I love the fact that he was reconciling the whole world. Jesus loves humans, but I actually reckon... He loves mice as well, and giraffes even. I was just going to go, let's just go with some more animals, but I won't do that because I think you get the picture. Um, the whole world, his, his idea was to reconcile the whole world back to him, all of nature, all of the environment, all of humanity. So two things that I've learned that... God is all about reconciliation. He does that through love. And he has a passion for the whole world, not, not just people. Um, I've been reading a book. I've been reading a lot of books this year. I'm on a journey to read 26 books this year, which is a lot for me. So I reckon I've read 26 books up till the start of this year um, in my whole life, but um, maybe a little bit more. But I've, but I've kind of set myself a challenge to read 26 books. That, that's one a fortnight. I'm up to book. 10 so I'm probably on track a little bit yeah thank you thank you that's why I said it for a little bit of <laughs> approval um, thanks Lyndon appreciate that um, so I'm, re- I'm reading a book at the moment by a guy named Scott McKnight which is called The Blue Parakeet which is an interesting book about the Bible actually and um, about how we read and interpret the Bible um, and he, but he shares this thing that, that, um, that really st- stood out to me um, this week while I was reading it, that, that he talks about the, that the plot of the Bible, um, that there's five parts. And he talks about this as the book as a whole, the book, uh, each sort of um, uh, part of the Bible, but, but also um, each, each story within the Bible. And he talks around, um, and he uses the word, I think it's pronounced icons, which is Greek for image or the likeness of God. So he talks about the first thing is creating icons that, he creates oneness with, with all of creation. And then there's these cracked icons, which is um, otherness. So there's this, this separation. And then talks around covenant community, which is the full, that the, um, which is where otherness expands further, further away from, from God. Then talks around Christ being in part of every story. And he's the perfect icon, the perfect image of God. And we become one in Christ. And then... Uh, consummation, which is the complete, the finalization, and we become perfectly one. And I think about where we sit a week past Easter and where I want to sit and to sit. And sometimes I know that I can sit in the otherness or the expanded otherness when I should be sitting in the perfection and the perfectly one with God. And I don't know what that looks like for each of us, but it but I know that's something, it's probably a consistent battle to get that, that kingdom mindset in my head every single day. I've got nothing else to say about that other than just to leave you with that crazy thought. Um, 
I've got one more, one more thing before I finish up. That's going to go off in 55 seconds. I'll stop this. We'll do another minor miracle by doing two things at once. Um, Jesus appears beyond recognition and beyond reason. So as I've sort of sat with that, I've been really interested that, um, you know, Mary thought he was a gardener. The two followers on the way to Emmaus just thought he was some traveller. And the disciples were fishing and they didn't recognise him. Why? Why didn't they recognise him? Some commentators talk around the fact that Mary was crying and so she couldn't see clearly throughout her, her tears, you know. Like, okay. And the disciples couldn't see him clearly because it must have been foggy or something. Like, okay, all right, fair enough. Um, and someone else said, well, maybe he looked really different because he had been beaten and, and crucified on a cross. Like, okay. But then I thought maybe their spiritual eyes couldn't actually see this new reality of who he is. Maybe they were looking for something old and happy with the old of what, what they had rather than looking for the new. I don't know. Maybe their truth was in the person of who he was and what they saw rather than in the completeness of who he is with all authority. I, I don't know. I don't know. But here's what Jesus does. So he called their name. He called out Mary. He led them to a miracle by, by the crazy big fish hall. And he broke bread, which was a direct reminder of what he had done for them. Jesus also asked questions about where they were at. Who are you crying for? Tell us what happened. And, and where they were, which I really, really liked because I just see that he's such a gentleman rather than imposing, how come you guys don't know this straight away? He's actually really quite comfortable to, to kind of say, for us to question, I guess, for us to sit in a notion of and just understand where we're at. He meets us where we're at and then leads us and moves people gently into that resurrection life. So how do we respond a week after Easter? I guess we need to be aware of the gospel story, and I, and, and I actually think that each of our testimonies is part of that gospel story, this ever-growing body of work that John would say, there is no book that can record it all. Your story... Your testimony is part of is part of Jesus's story. So I think it's really nice to know what that is to reflect on that. So I think that's I, th I think that's important a week after Easter. And I think we need to live like he's alive. You know, there are religions out there that come to an altar to worship dead gods, thoughts of what was what had been, and we worship a God who's alive who's consistently doing things, we, don't, we can remember what has been done, but we can look forward to what is happening. And we do that in relationship with him. And I think we've got to look for Jesus in the unrecognisable. Things that we don't normally see. Wait for him to call out our name in places where we don't think he's going to call out our name. Where he reveals miracles on his own which I reckon for some of us might be like a sunset or a smile or a toothache stopping. That's the sort of miracle I like. 
They're good miracles. And I think the other thing is he does invite us to remember. He invites us to keep remembering him. So you, you stand with me as we just finish up today. You know, I wrote on the um, front of the Logos today that Jesus is perfect, our perfect theology. That if we're looking, well, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about that? That the person we look to is Jesus and we, we, we look to what he's doing. We're a blessed people to be able to do that. I, like, um, we're a blessed people to be able to do that. Let's just, let's pray as we wrap up. Hmm. Lord God, we thank you for your life, your death, the resurrection and your life again. We thank you that you come uh, as a gentleman to speak with us, to share with us, to meet us where we're at and to lead us forward. Lord, we thank you that, um, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that you pour down on all of us, Lord God. We thank you for the gift to be able to share our story with others to be able to share of your love and, your, and the amazing things you've done. So, Lord God, as we head into another year, and if we consider this the start of our year, not the calendar year or the financial year, but the Christian year maybe, that, um, that we start off with a clear vision of you in our lives, Lord God, and who you are within us for others. Yeah, so come and sit with us, come and speak to us, come and rest with us, Lord God, where we're at. We thank you that we know you'll do it. We thank you in advance. Amen. Well, bless you all. Have a super week.